0: On the 1st of September 1939, the same day that Hitler's forces marched into Poland, Operation Pied Piper mobilised across Britain. One and a half million people from London and other major cities, mainly children, were moved by rail to safety in the countryside. Their tale is well known. But there is another mass evacuation story that needs to be told. At the height of the late summer heatwave of 1939, the time had finally come for the men and women of London's national museums, galleries and archives to mobilise, dispatching what they could of their charges to safety in a gigantic but covert effort to save the nation's heritage. Ingenious escape plans were devised by the capital's curators for their precious charges. Using stately homes, tube tunnels, castles, quarries prisons, and caves, a remarkable bunch of unlikely accomplices packed up the nation's most precious objects and, in a race against time, dispatched them throughout the country on a series of top-secret wartime adventures. They, like so many in the Second World War, were ordinary people called on to achieve extraordinary things in the middle of a national crisis. From suave, high-profile public figures to diffident, self-effacing scholars, Now they all came forward to do their bit, in what became their finest hour. And as with evacuated children in their new billets, those other evacuees met with an equally eccentric array of hosts, were greeted with open arms by some, with hostility and neglect by others. Over the next few years of war, these national treasures, collections and custodians alike, dug in or moved on, Previously used only to battling the hazards of moths, mice, and mildew, now they faced first the threat of invasion, and then bombing, armed with no-nails boxes, stirrup pumps, and brown paper, as the menace from the air stalked them to the very places where they were hidden, and their chances of survival seemed ever slimmer. Back in London, many of their former homes were devastated, yet the conflict also wrought personal transformations. Friendships were forged in the most unexpected places. New vistas of research opened up. Misfits found perfect niches. Those who had previously led lives of quiet desperation discovered in themselves the reserves of courage and resilience which had previously eluded them. Some found love. Two were killed. So here, with a cast of characters who could have stepped right out of an ealing comedy, is a moment from our history when an unlikely coalition of mild-mannered civil servants, social oddballs, and metropolitan aesthetes became nothing less than the Heritage Front in our fight against the Nazis. To all those involved in the heritage evacuations of the Second World War, it would have been quite obvious why they were doing it. They would have been clear that their collections belonged to the nation and were being saved for it future generations would thank them for their efforts in ensuring that the paintings, objects, books and records of their institutions had been packed up and hidden away from a malignant enemy until they could once again go back on display for the public to admire and appreciate them. Today, we might take a different view of those certainties. Cultural artifacts looted by the Nazis are still being uncovered across the world— and return to those from whom they were seized in the great maelstrom of the Second World War. It is so tempting to think that the British experience is separate from that of continental Europe, and above reproach. Yet for at least some of the objects which fled London in 1939, there is today a shadow over their status as national treasures. Which nation do they really belong to, and whose treasures are they really? Really? Some of those wartime evacuees had come to this country as a result of acts of violence, sacking and bloodshed elsewhere. And some of the items fleeing the perils of bombardment, looting or confiscation in London had themselves once been acquired by damaging or obliterating other civilisations through just those same methods. Uncomfortable questions about the violent seizure of others' heritage to adorn our national institutions in the past are now confronting us in a way which would have been unimaginable to many of the people in this book. As ever, the study of the past is not a warm protective blanket, wrapping up history in nostalgia and securing it with a neat bow of tradition. It is more like a brisk rub-down with sandpaper, as varnished layers of sentiment and misplaced pride are removed from our certainties, and a rather different, but more realistic and ultimately more fascinating, view of what went on, begins to be revealed.